Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support. We'd love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. I I think it's important that we go to the Lord, especially when we're talking about prayer, right? We should start in prayer. I think so. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity right here. You've brought us all together to get into your word and dig deeper into our relationship with you. And one of the key aspects of digging into a deeper relationship with you is going to be communication, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to draw closer in open and honest communication through prayer with you. Help us to communicate our wants, our needs, our desires, our fears, our failures, our successes, and request boldness to act. Lord, I pray that our prayers would be saturated by Your Word. And Lord, the excitement that comes from that. Help us to want and to thirst. Or as You tell us in Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for the water. Lord, help us to seek You in that way. I pray for today, Lord, that You would just open our hearts to receive Your message. And Lord, already be working in us through Your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, we tend to pray more fervently when we're threatened by some kind of pressure, don't we? I mean, I remember as a kid, knowing that I hadn't studied for a test, I would sit there begging God to give me the answers, right? Now, I became kind of like, you know, one of those let's make a deal type of, you know, game show hosts. I was like, well, God, if you give me the answers in my head, I will do this for you, right? And that's kind of what I would do. I would negotiate with God in my prayer life. Why? Because the pressure was on. And sometimes we do that in life. We, we kind of try to make God a let's make a deal kind of person. But he's not about that. I'm pretty sure that when Daniel was in the lion's den, right? The Lord was hearing his heart and soul crying out. As he was in that dank pit with hungry lions surrounding him, I'm pretty sure Daniel wasn't just sitting there going, you know, God, it'd be really cool if um, these lions didn't eat me right now. No, I'm pretty sure Daniel was fervently, excitedly, terrifiedly praying and letting God know what he was thinking, what was on his mind at that moment. He was truly praying without ceasing, don't you think? I'm pretty sure that at that moment, Daniel felt as though his life was dependent on living in the moment in prayer. And that's what I mean by we tend to pray more fervently, more more pressured 
when we're in the pressure cooker of life. Our prayer life tends to recreate itself in a more particular way, doesn't it? Your prayer life changes when life depends on it. I think I should say that again. Your prayer life changes when life depends on it. His prayer started when he heard that it was illegal to pray in Babylon to the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. And I'm sure he sat there praying to God as he's facing Jerusalem and he's saying to the Lord, Lord, give me strength to do what I ought to do as a servant of You. And later, this prayer that he asked for conviction and strength would have to come true and it was further carried out when he's thrown into the den with the hungry lions for living out what he believed. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. Because we see exactly what it means to live in the conviction of prayer. James chapter 5. And look at verse 16 with me. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What the NASB calls effectual prayer, the King James and the NIV call fervent prayer. They both mean the same thing. But the, thir- the fervent has the feeling of prayer that's feverish. And I want you to think about it in that way. This is a feverish, excited, I have to do this prayer. If I don't pray this prayer, a piece of me is going to die right now. You're so drawn in that you're oblivious to whatever else is going on in the world. Your surroundings are completely gone and the intensity is all on and focused on you communicating to God. That's what fervent prayer is. It's talking to God with that sweat and that struggle that is formed on your forehead Because you're engaging God in prayer. You're handing this problem over to God for His comfort, His counsel, because He's Abba Father. And you're His child. Furbish prayer for Him to act. Fervent prayer asking Him to do what He reveals and and what He wants you to act upon. Feverish prayer that, Lord, I'm bringing this to Your throne and I, I need You to recognize this right now because I don't know how to act. I don't know how to move forward. And I need Your comfort and Your grace in this moment. I'll never forget the fervent call to action that we received as a church. It took place the night of, really it started Black Friday. 
For those of you that don't know what Black Friday is, is the day after Thanksgiving. It was about 11, 30, 12 o'clock, somewhere around there, Tony called me. And it was the wee hours of the morning. And he said, Cody, um, Gabriel's coming early. And so I grabbed my entire family, we threw them in the van, the kids were still asleep, and we drove as crazy as we could. And all the way, we were just begging the Lord to hear our prayers. All the way along, we were just communicating to the Lord in fervent prayer, in feverish prayer, laying before them the lovely couple we're going to hear from right now. Tony and Priscilla, can you come on up? Let's give some encouragement to Tony and Priscilla as they come up. Just to let you know, Tony loves me so much to do this. Because he does not like to be in the prime light at all. So, Tony, thank you. Um, so, <clears throat> thanks, Code, for that. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, you guys see me up here every week. But if you notice, my, head, my eyes are almost always down. My head's almost always bowed. I'm always closed because I don't typically like to be in the spotlight. Um, and here I am in the spotlight. <laughs> so um, thank you, Code, again for that, um, that intro and, um, and for asking us to do this. I think that um, it's important. Uh, for those of you that do not know me, um, like, like Cody mentioned, my name is Tony. This is my wife, Priscilla. And uh, we've grown up in this church. Um, we've been here as long as we, we can remember. You know, um, this is the place where we grew up physically, we grew up spiritually. Um, we, um, I met and married my wife here. Uh, this, is, this is home. Um, and um, we've, we've spent so much of our lives here. We've cried here. We've, uh, we've raised our voices in, in worship and, and, uh, and triumph, and, um, and it's just where we call home. So when Cody asked me to speak, um, obviously I wasn't super thrilled. <laughs> but, um, you know, I told him what I always tell him. Uh, you know, I'll pray about it and I'll talk to my wife. Um, and then I promptly forgot about it. I didn't, I put it out of my mind. <laughs> And, um, you know, this whole, that whole week, which was this past week, um, it was a rough week. You know, I didn't, um, I had trouble at work, you know, um, I couldn't talk to my wife right away. And, you know, I was trying to give him an answer as quick as possible. I couldn't talk to my wife right away. Um, I ended up going home. I took the problems that I was having at work and I brought them home with me. And so we just wasn't, we weren't in sync. And uh, when I got, when I finally did talk to her and she, you know, she told me that, yeah, it's a good idea. We should do it. Um, I was telling a good friend of mine at work, you know, he's a good Christian gentleman, uh, and I was telling him what was going on, he said, you have to do it, you know, you have to do it. God is going to use that, your testimony, in some kind of way. You're going to, God is going to speak through your voice. You're going to hear, people are going to hear God through your voice. Um, as humble as it is. <laughs> so, you know, we decide to do this, you know. 
And um, I'm going to read from this because, again, I'm not a great public speaker, so you're going to be referring to this a lot. Um, and uh, and uh, before I go into our Gabriel story, I, I wanted to tell a quick story from from my younger life. And uh, it's a little, it's about my mom. So, mom, sorry, you know, I know you're back there hiding behind a monitor. <laughs> but um, when I was younger, uh, she decided that she wanted to do this specific Bible study, and uh, she said that you know she had committed to God that she was going to do it every single day. That was going to be her commitment to God, and she was faithful. And uh, and one night after a really long day with dealing with, I think it was at that time it was only three boys because it was pretty pretty young, but. Uh, she just felt so exhausted and tired. She had, you know, gotten cleaned up. She was in her bed. She was all cozy. She was just ready to go to sleep. And then she remembered, I didn't do my devotion. So, you know, she got her, her book from the nightstand, her journal and everything she, she had. Um, and she realized, oh, my goodness, I don't have a pen. And that was it. She was just, I'm not going to do this. God, you know, uh, forgive me. I'm not going to do it. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit convicted her, and she, and she said uh, that, you know, she felt like she needed to do it. So she prayed. She said, God, I'm going to walk out on faith, and I'm going to go ahead and do this, this, this commitment. I'm going to follow through. So she throws her books aside. She throws the covers off. She, you know, flings her, her, her feet off the bed because she's really not having it right now. <laughs> and she steps down, and on, underneath her feet, she tells me, she told me I remember like, you know, yesterday, she tells me that she stepped on five pens. And, and then she was like, she realized, you know, that was God's way of, of blessing that tiny little bit of faith that, that it took to, to say, you know what, I'm going to follow through and I'm going I'm to do what, you, what, what I told you I would. So 10 years ago, um, it was 10 years ago last, last Sunday, as a matter of fact, um, we went through one of the most spiritually, physically, and emotionally challenging experiences of our lives. Uh, we were expecting our first child with Gabriel. Uh, we were going through the motions. We had our baby appointments scheduled. Everything was looking really good. And then one, one day, the, our regular doctor, she said, you know what? Um, you guys got to go see this specialist. There's, I'm just, there's something I'm not liking about this. You need to go see this guy. His name was Ruben Quintero, Dr. Ruben Quintero. So we made the appointment with the specialist, and uh, we found out through the specialist that our son had CDH. It's a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. I could bore you with hours about this particular, you know, um, ailment, uh, but uh, essentially it was just a very, a very severe prognosis. We were, we were, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't hold much hope. It just so happens that this one doctor, and again, this is God's provision, was world-renowned. He was the only one doing these experimental procedures to, for that condition. So, you know, again, we felt God's hand there. I mean, now, when, when you get a negative diagnosis, however little, from any doctor, immediately, as Christians, as, as people of faith, however little or great we are, we, we, we take it before God. And that's what we did. We took it before God immediately. And we started calling everybody. We, we started the prayer train moving. You know, we called mom, we called Cody, we called, uh, you know, and mom, mom is very much involved with the, the women's ministries here. So that went through all those ministries, and, and we felt an immediate presence, um, uh, an, an immediate, you know, uh, connection there. So that's when we started our praying without ceasing, and um, as it says in Thessalonians, you know, um, 
we continued to go through the motions. Every week we'd, had a, we'd have a doctor's appointment um, with Dr. Quintero and his group. We started to get to know the nurses and the doctors, and we started praying for them. Um, we, we still don't know what impact that had, but we do know that we got, a lot, we got really close to those people. We got really, we started to get to know them. We started to get to know more about them, more about their lives. Um, and we feel that God used us to sort of minister to them in, in, any, in some sort of way. So we, we, um, you know, we prayed for everything. We prayed for the doctors, nurses, sonographers. We prayed for our little Xterra to help us get to and from Jackson because that's where he was at. And uh, Jackson's a ways away for us. Um, and then, um, you know, we went through in vitro surgery. We prayed for that. We went through um, um, every aspect of our lives was with Gabriel was just covered in prayer. Finally, the time came and sooner than we expected, as Cody mentioned. And on November 26th, 2011, uh, Gabriel was born. And then the prayer really, truly started in earnest, as Cody mentioned. Um, it was a very challenging pre- uh, uh, delivery as far as, um, you know, it was just, it was really, it was really, it was an emergency surgery. It was what it was. And, um, and we just covered him in prayer. Uh, we, Cody, Cody, as you mentioned, came to the, came to the, Cody and family came to the, to, to the hospital, her family, my family, everybody was there. We were all praying and just, and just covering Priscilla and, and Gabriel and, and just a mountain of prayer. Um, and I would just love to tell you that that's where the story ends, that our prayers were answered and everything was fine and, and we're living happily after and he's sitting over there. Uh, but that's not what happened. For 58 days, we covered our beloved son in prayer. We saw him open his eyes. We praised God. We felt him grip our fingers. We praised God. We watched him respond to our voices. We praised God. And we saw him fight for every breath. And we praised God and begged for his mercy and healing. We rejoiced in hope. We were patient in our tribulation and we were constant in our prayers, as it says in Romans. Every second that we had with Gabe was a true miracle and an answer to prayer, and we praised God for it. In the small hours of January 23rd, our son breathed his last. While we held him in our arms and covered him in prayers, in the prayers of two desperate souls, we praised our loving Father for the wisdom and mercy to know when it was time for Gabe to go home and be made anew, perfect in his image. For 58 days, our son's life was used by our great father to impact countless lives. God is still using his little servant, Gabriel, to change our world. And in conclusion, I'll leave you with this thought. God doesn't always answer prayer how we would like, but he always answers prayer. Thank you so much for hearing our story. Thank you, Tony and Priscilla.
And I'm sure a lot of prayer went up uh, just in coming up here to be able to share. In the vacuum of pain, sorrow, or fear, our prayers grow bold. Our prayers grow poignant, and they grow fervent. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't grow bold as they stood before a furious king. They didn't grow bold when they felt the heat of the flames. They grew bold when they called upon the Lord's strength to carry them on. And then they trusted Him that He knew what was best in His ultimate plan. I remember so distinctly every time we would get a call and some of you might remember that as well the texts the calls didn't matter what time of the day or night it was we were living in prayer with Gabriel every time he would get a little weak we would get the text and everybody was on their knees and then about 30 minutes later, an hour later, as we were finishing and saying amen, it was like immediately we would get that text. He bounced back. He's doing great. And it was like our lives were depending on that prayer just as much as his. And, and today, I, I, this is about my 15th one, thanks to Tony. <laughs> I still wear that little white band that says Gabriel, Job 33.4. God give me the breath in my lungs. And it was just a reminder that every time you looked at it to pray for a little boy and his family. Because his life was depending on your prayer. And it became something so personal as we were all feverishly and corporately joining together to accomplish this great task and handing it over to the Lord because none of us could do anything for it. Three ministers were talking about prayer in general and the appropriateness and, and how to do it, the effectiveness and the best position to be in prayer. And they're all just going back and forth and arguing. And as they were talking, a telephone repairman was working on a telephone in the background trying to get it all installed and everything in the pastor's little quarters in the back there. One of the ministers shared that he felt that the key was all in the hands. He said, you know, I like to pray with my hands joined together and pointed up so it directs my prayer directly towards God. And if I don't have my hands pointed up and in this position, maybe God is not going to correctly hear me because I'm not tuning into Him correctly. The third guy suggested that 
It didn't matter about the hands. It was all about the knees. You had to have yourself down on the ground, prostate, and you had to basically being connected to the ground, directing up, and that was the correct way to pray. The second guy, he said they were both wrong. The only position worth its grain and salt was stretched out flat on your face. By this time, the man that was doing the little repair work and setting up the, the telephone in the room, he couldn't help but join in in the conversation. And he said, uh, I found that the most powerful prayer that I've ever prayed was while I was hanging upside down from a telephone pole 40 feet up in the air. That's living on a prayer. And in the book of Acts, if you would, please turn there with me. The book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, here we see John and Peter, two of Jesus' disciples, two of the three that He would take with Him to, in, into a more intimate setting. Two of the three that He talked to the most, they're seized by the temple guards by the chief priests in Jerusalem for preaching that Jesus is Messiah. And not just for that, for leading temple services when they're not even rabbis or priests. Uh, we see this in Acts chapter 3 and 4. They were arrested for healing a man that was lame at the temple gates. We see that in Acts chapter 3. But the thing that got the temple guards and the chief priests the most furious was that in Acts chapter 2, these two men boldly preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ and led 3,000 people to salvation in Jesus Christ. 3,000 Jews at Pentecost trusted the Lord as Savior. We're going to read verses 13 and down to 24. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. Remember, these were just fishermen. These were just nobodies. You see, at that time, to sit at the feet of a prominent rabbi, you had to have some sort of acumen. You had to, you had to show that you understood Scripture. And then you would, be, you would be apprenticed to a rabbi. So these Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, even the temple guards, all of them had sat at the feet of a prominent rabbi at one time in their life. But James, John, Matthew, Peter, Thomas, none of the twelve were fit enough to be apprenticed to a rabbi. They didn't have the understanding. They didn't have what it took to read Scripture and grasp it and understand it and teach it. And so what were they apprenticed to? Fishermen. Tax collectors. And so here, they stand up and they begin to preach. And it wasn't just that one or two people were looking and saying, hey, that guy makes some sense. No, it awed everybody that was there saying, 
these guys are different. These guys should not be able to articulate and say what they're saying. These guys are just those fishermen that couldn't make it. They couldn't be apprenticed to a rabbi. They had to go and fish for a living. And they were all amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful words? Isn't it beautiful when somebody recognizes Jesus in you? When your aura, your talk, your life, everything about you says there's something special about you. Because you sit at the feet of Christ. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that they will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them not to speak any longer to any man in this name. What name is so dangerous that they had to say, let's tell them to quit speaking? And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen or heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. In other words, this man had been seen as being lame for so long that no one could deny what had taken place. That no one could say, this guy's faking it, he's been, he, this is a ploy, he's working with these guys, and this is a fake healing. No one could deny what they had seen because everybody had seen him struggle through life before. Let me continue on. Verse 23, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them, And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. So after finding nothing to sentence them with, the priests tell them to stop preaching Jesus and just leave. Remember, these are the same priests and guards that had arrested Jesus, and they couldn't find a charge to bring against Jesus. So what did they do? They made ones up. Right? They just made ones up. And the only charge that they could put against Jesus in the end was what? King of the Jews. 
And he was crucified for being exactly what Scripture said he would be. So their lives are in jeopardy. Their lives are in jeopardy as they're under arrest standing before the, 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 the priests and the temple guards. Their lives are in jeopardy by doing what they tell them not to do. Their lives are in jeopardy. By preaching Jesus, their lives are in jeopardy. And what did the church pray for? What did these men pray for? What did John and Peter ask for when they're confronted in this situation that they can't handle themselves? You would think that they prayed for exemption from persecution, right? For safety to worship. From being chased. From being chastised and beaten. Freedom to worship, to pray, and to praise Jesus. Liberty to congregate as, as one group in Jesus' name. I mean, that's kind of what we hear today in, in our lifetime, right? Whenever it's, it's, the pressure is on for people in the church in America, what do we start praying about? Lord, just, just keep us free. Give us our freedom to, to pray in Jesus' name. Give us our freedom to do these things for You. Give us the freedom to, to read our Bible. When we were in COVID, Lord, give us the ability to congregate again. But look, look around you. Did people really want that freedom? Or was it the idea that they couldn't have freedom that they were praying for? You know, the church in China actually prays that we would begin to be persecuted so our eyes would be opened to what we truly have in Christ. Because it's not until the pressure is on and the pressure cooker of life is on that you realize the beauty that you hold in your faith. So what did these men pray for? They prayed for boldness. Take a look with me, if you will, verses 27 to 31. This is Peter and John as they go back to the new believers and the rest of the church. They begin to give a report and they say this, for truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your words with all confidence." While you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God. Say it with me with boldness. Lord, give us boldness to speak. Jesus, give us boldness to act. 
Give us boldness to carry on. And boldness to trust that You know what You're doing. Lord, grant me what I need not to back down. Not to fall silent. Not to doubt You. Not to give up or to give in. Lord, help me to depend on You and know that in life or death, Your way is always the best. And brings the biggest, brightest glory to Your name. And Scripture says that their prayers were answered. They weren't asking the Lord to take away. They're asking the Lord that they could endure and stand firm. They asked the Lord to give them courage in that moment, in their own lion's den, in their own heat of the flame, to still speak, to still stand. Brothers and sisters, we will all have that moment where we stand in the mouth of the den of lions. We will all have that moment in life where we are thrown to the flame. And it could be anything. It could be financial ruin. It could be physical health of a loved one. Whatever it is, Instead of saying, Lord, take me out of this, we need to say, Lord, give me boldness to act. Lord, give me strength to carry on. And the Bible says their prayer was answered because after they said, Amen, Verse 31, the Holy Spirit began to work and speak the Word of God with boldness. The Word of God boldly grew in them and through them in spite of the persecution. And when persecution grew, because remember, this is just a confrontation they're having with the temple guards. When Rome got involved and persecution was really strong, when Nero decided he would go after the, the Christians, the church grew even more. And their prayers grew bolder. And their actions increased. And more and more people came to Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's why you're seated here today. Because of that church and these prayers boldness. The prayer of a righteous man avails much, meaning it gives what they need to go on. The fever pitch prayer, the strength to know God is in control, the ability to hand it over to the Lord, to the Maker of the heavens and earth, and say, Lord, I can't, but You can, so Lord, I'm asking You to give divine intervention. I'm not asking you to take me out of this situation. I'm asking you to give glory in this situation. Even when you mess it up yourself, just ask the Lord to be at work in you 
and to bring glory to His name through you in the situation. Listen, it doesn't always end as we want. But we are granted the boldness to speak. The strength to move. And the ability to carry on. Not long ago, we celebrated the, the life of Tommy Biandaletti, right? And Jeannie, she's on a family trip right now, and so uh, she has a wedding, but she would be here. She might be even watching, I'm not sure. But Jeannie told me at the, at the end of last week's sermon, she came up to me and she wanted to talk to me about this. She was really excited about this. Because she felt that the Lord had revealed this to her. She said she really didn't understand why God had taken Tommy away because she asked the Lord to heal him. Just as I remember all of us praying for Gabriel to come home. And she said, isn't that a righteous prayer? I don't understand because... God healed people, so I don't know if that's going against God's Word to pray for that to happen. So, I said, no, that's, that's not a bad prayer. You can ask for God to heal. I said, but we always have to keep in mind that God is looking for the utmost glory in people's life. The Lord is about glorifying people and glorifying Himself through people's lives. And then later that night, she wrote me and said, I just realized something. For the past 30 years, I've been praying for the salvation of His family. And I didn't realize that that original prayer would cost me so much. Because at Tommy's funeral, with his family and friends sitting on this one side, I couldn't keep out with it, up with the amount of hands that came up when we were praying the prayer of salvation. That is for the utmost glory. So we need to pray rather than Lord, take me out of this. Pray for the boldness to carry on. Amen? Amen. Tony, Priscilla, I want to thank you guys so much for sharing your hearts and your minds because that was beautiful and it spoke to my life and hopefully it spoke to everybody here because it was such a raw and a real time in so many of our lives. And for those of you that didn't live that, Hopefully you can kind of glimmer a little bit of what we're all experiencing. Just living in prayer. To pray without ceasing. And to have feverish prayer. As if your life depended on it. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast. A ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. 
If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.